with Abraham and Sarah, and it's going to be a great theological concept in the beginning. Then we're going to move to a marriage concept at the end. And so today, it's just going to be an extravaganza that I hope that you are ready for. Um, just to catch everyone up, to give us some context, Abraham is the first patriarch in the Old Testament. God came to him, gave him a promise, said, Abraham, if you'll trust me, I'll take you and do greater things with your life than you could ever imagine. And wrapped inside of that promise was an answer to Abraham's greatest problem. And that was that his wife, how was she introduced? What was, does anybody remember what the word was? She was barren. She was unable to have children. And so that was a very big problem for their culture. And it was a very big problem because God's promise that would ultimately lead to our salvation in Jesus was wrapped in him solving Sarah's issue of barrenness. And so I just wanted to give you the context, and last week we said that they, they got into a little scrape um, between Lot and Abraham, and we, we just discussed briefly how that we should be careful not to let other people's problems come between us, right? Or how we let small issues turn into big issues, and those divisions lead to divorce. And we also learned that they had gone down to Egypt because there was some scarcity, and so fear and famine drove them to a place that it doesn't readily say God was leading them down to that place. And so instead of trusting in God to provide where they were, they went and solved a problem on their own. And, and then when they were down there in Egypt, it didn't go so well. Abraham said to Sarah, say you're my sister, because if they think I'm married to you, you're so beautiful that they will kill me so that they can marry you. And so they agreed to do that, and that almost caused a problem, a big problem, because Pharaoh, because it was his sister, it's actually like his plan backfired, and she wanted to, or Pharaoh wanted to marry her and um, you know, consummate that relationship, and then God stepped in, and I go, this is wild, because we don't ever say this word in church, but God smote Pharaoh and the Egyptians with hemorrhoids, all right? And, and so they didn't... Um, that ended that. And so they, he was like, get on out of here, okay? And so we're going to pick up our story, and really we're going to have time for two verses um, at the beginning. It's going to take the most of our sermon to get there. Um, and we're going to look at, at something that happened in Egypt that's going to cause a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, historically you could say that Abraham's decision and Sarah's um, impatience is getting ready to change the world as we know it forever and always till the end. And so imagine, <laughs> imagine you, you made a bad decision that carries on for 6,000 years. Okay, just throw that out there. Um, so, so that sets the appetite for today. And, and so I'm going to call this the Ishmael mindset, the Ishmael mindset. Like how do we get past? How do we move past the Ishmael mindset? Why do we have the Ishmael mindset? Is it impatience? Um, you know, do we try to inject ourselves into the plan? And I think you'll readily see some of the pitfalls that happen whenever we try uh, to do it our way instead of God's way. Before we get into it, though, I always like to give you an appetizer. And so this week, our appetizer is going to set the stage is um, a story from my childhood. And um, one, I don't think I've ever told a Genesis Metro, but I had a neighbor and we had several neighbors. And, and when I grew up back in the Stone Ages, um, we didn't have fences around yards. And so our neighborhood, uh, our neighbor had this perfect square lot and we would play tackle the man with the football. Does anybody, by show of hands, have you ever played tackle the man with the football, right? It's an interesting game. 
Um, if you end up with the ball, everyone is trying to kill you, okay? Now, I was uh, shifty and I was fast. And so, you know, playing against most people, I was, I was good. I was good. And I had a neighbor and there were two brothers in, in that house and me and my brother, we had two brothers. So that was usually the, the, the quattro that started off all the games. And um, that day, I think there were some other kids out there. We were playing tackle man football. Our neighbors... Um, one of them that was my age, his name uh, was Carl, but we called him Big Carl. And Big Carl was big, okay? Uh, I don't know how old we were, let's just say nine years old, and he was like nine years old and going home 200 pounds, all right? And Big Carl, Big Carl couldn't catch me, right? Big Carl could never catch me. He could never tackle me. And so I was out there juking like a little jitterbug all around, you know, and Carl's like, oh, I'll kill you. Anyway, and so, so somehow uh, Carl got the ball. And in my mind, I, I translated my elusiveness to that I was good at football and it didn't matter. In my mind, I had this brief moment of, of a utopian feeling of like, it didn't matter how big Carl was. If I just ran fast enough and hit him hard enough that I could, I could take big Carl down, okay? And so with all my muster, I got going. And I lowered my head, and I hit Big Carl right in the belly, all right? And my speed was nothing for the size of Big Belly Carl, okay? And his, his belly um, enveloped me, and then it boomeranged me back, all right? And I hit him, but somehow I fell down, I don't know. And back in the day, there wasn't like a mom sitting on the sideline to just helicopter around, oh, baby, okay, okay. You had to just like walk it off and go inside, right? It was like the walk of shame. So I walked inside, and I lived in a generation um, where you got in trouble for getting hurt. I don't know. Anybody else say amen? Like, you know, like, so I walk in, and my dad's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, Dad. I can't move my dad. Dude, I had whiplash for three days because of Big Carl's belly. Uh, that, imagine that. Right? I had the false belief that I could, all right? The false belief that I could, even though if anyone was watching, if anyone had half a brain, they would have looked at me, they would have looked at Carl and said, not happening, Jack, not happening. And I just wonder, hmm, let's just take that morsel just for a moment and ask ourselves, do you, do you have any stories? Do you have any stories where you thought you could? Not because of any fact that would suggest that you could, but just because you believed that you could. I bet every wife in here has a story about when their husband thought they could. Anybody? Anybody? It's like, you know, I can put this thing together. I don't need instructions, you know? Like, I, I don't need to know what she wants. I know what she wants. I'll just buy something that I think she wants. Oh, my friend. My friend. Oh, so cute. You know what my secret is? My wife is happy every Christmas. You know why? I say, what do you want? And then I get that thing. You say, well, she's not surprised. Okay. I ask her, what are three things that you want? And then I pick one of those three. I just, dude, I just saved you so much marriage counseling. Dude, today, I want you to think about this. That It costs about $150 to $200 for a per counseling hour. And today you're going to get at least three hours worth of counseling. So you remember that at the end when we pass the bucket, okay? I'm saving you from counseling. And so 
as we get into today's message, we're going to read verse uh, 1 of Genesis chapter 16. They've just come up out of Egypt. There was a thing that happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's not tangential to this message. It says, Abraham's wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, a couple of things here. Um, we remember when she was introduced, she was introduced as barren. And it seems like every time she comes up, we just keep on. It's like, and still no children, right? It's like, man, you can kind of almost get like, oh, they're building up the suspense in the story here. And it says, but she had owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now they just went down to Egypt. We know that didn't go well. And then they picked up a passenger um, while they were down there. So I want to ask you a question to start the message. Have you ever started a relationship that you would live to regret? Has anybody, by show of hands, have you ever started a relationship that you would live to regret? Yes? I guess, I guarantee all of us in here. Hagar's name actually translates stranger. Um, and so back in the day, like my parents' generation, if someone was walking down the road and they put the thumb up, uh, you'd pick them up. And you just take them on to wherever they're going if it's on your way, you know. Um, and then in my generation, uh, we spawned Jeffrey Dahmer. And so everybody was like, you can pick them up if you want to, but they might kill you and eat you, okay? And now this generation doesn't even think about picking somebody up on the side of the road. Um, so it's just an interesting thing that's happened there. And, and they were down there in Egypt and they, they picked up a, a stranger. And it's kind of interesting if we kind of stretch out the template of Egypt in the Bible. Egypt seems like it's always a metaphorical place that you don't want to be, but the Israelites keep wanting to go there, right? It's like whenever Moses was trying to take them out and they were <laughs> walked across the Red Sea and they were free, it's like, whoa, we're finally free. 400 years of slavery, we, we're out. And then like first, first conflict, they're like, man, we had it better in Egypt. Egypt was so much better. Like, gosh, it's like you, what? How cheap is your freedom? Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But it seems like going to Egypt is always bad. And in this particular case, it was fear and famine led them to make a decision that it'd be better to go down to Egypt rather than trust in God to provide. And I'm not saying it's not ever wise to go where the food is, but in this particular case, it's going to cost them because they picked up a passenger, a relationship that began to grow into an opportunity to sin. And that gives us a, a good pause, right? They ask, to ask a good question, and that is, how do we know when a relationship should come to an end? And I think the easiest way to do it is, what is the fruit, right? What is the fruit of that relationship? And so if, if it's not bearing godly fruit, then at some juncture, you are just watering dead plants, right? And that would be silly, right? If you just like walked out and there's a bunch of dead plants and you're just out there watering away, it doesn't matter once they're dead, guess what? They're dead, they're dead. And so much time is spent I think in watering dead plants in our relationships that we are trying to infuse ourselves into those situations. And, and man, I got to tell you, my pastor's heart, you know, it's just, you know, you, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm looking out here at all your faces and you know what I want for you more than anything? I, I want more than anything for you. God's best. That's what I want. I believe that God has a best plan for you. has a promise for you. For every problem, he has a promise that if you would just do it God's way, it would be so much better. It would be so much better. And just imagine 
Just imagine that we could trade places for just a moment. And now, you know, you're a, a pastor preaching and there's an audience out here. And you would think what you would want is every sermon they are like dialed in. Dial, yes, pastor, preach it. That's God's word. I'm going to do that thing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine my little compassionate heart? And I want to see everyone saved. I want to see every marriage thrive. I want to see every child raised like a sharp arrow in the quiver that hits the target of truth. But so many times, people are not listening. And then imagine that I still have to maintain this level of compassion when you come to me and I already preached on the problem that you're bringing to me and you're like, Pastor, help us. And I'm like, I did. I did. You weren't listening. You weren't listening. Like, what? Come on. And so I'm not saying that that's what I'm going to say. I'm obviously going to maintain my compassion, but you could see how it'd be hard, right? And there's been some times in my relationships, whether it be work relationships or friendships, that God made it very clear. Like, hey, it's over. Like I'm, in, I'm like the EMT on the scene, like, no, you will not die. You know? And I think there's a point where we inject ourselves into the equation, Right? And we start saying, no, I, I can save them. I can help them. I can fix them. Can I help you? Please, God, let me help you. You can't do any of those things. You can show them. You can lead them to the place, to the person. But you cannot change anyone. You cannot fix Anyone, we can present them to a God. If they avail themselves to the truth that God has, they can be saved. They can be changed. They can be fixed. Nothing, nothing is impossible with God. But when you presuppose yourself to be God, ooh, you're about to get yourself in a relationship you regret. Wrong places, Egypt, lead to wrong relationships. And so try to stay clear of the wrong places. You know, like a text thread that goes a little too casual or like a Facebook message, instant message, Snapchat message, whatever it is. And like all of a sudden you're in a wrong place. And sometimes it's weird because relationships are, are variables, right? They're not constants. Like you could start off and it's a good relationship. And then all of a sudden, now it's not a good relationship. You know, think about that for a moment. That at what point do you dismount the horse that is dead? And I would say that you just got to constantly watch what fruit is it producing. Abraham allowed his family, led his family into a wrong place. And they picked up a wrong relationship. And that wrong relationship is going to metastasize and it's going to turn into a whole bunch of problems. And so husbands, I would say, you know, maybe you should be guarding which direction your family is going. Maybe you should be paying attention to how you invest your time. It says... In verse 2, part A, that Sarah said to Abraham, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. All right? Now let's see this subtle shift in perception. Okay? When God met Abraham, he said, I know that your wife 
is barren. But here's my promise to you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Okay? So all of a sudden in chapter 16, by the way, we're 10 years in, 10 years in to the, to the walking with God, 10 years into the leaving Ur of the Chaldees, 10 years in, and it's going to take 25 to get there, by the way. And so 10 years in, whoo, I um, mean, the Ishmael mindset starts to get impatient, impatient. And, and Sarah, her perception begins to change. And now it says that since the Lord has prevented me, right? Do you guys see that? Do you see this subtle shift? It's not that she was born barren. It's not that she had become barren. It is that the Lord is making her barren. The Lord is preventing her from having children. Now, I will help you today, if you will allow me, theologically, this is such a common misconception. This is, this is a thing that destroys people and oftentimes keeps them from growing in their faith, is that they take a mountain of hurt that they have personally experienced in their life and they lay the blame at the feet of God. So we need to like rewind it. And there's a new commercial. Have y'all seen the new commercial where they're, they're arguing? And then it says like the, they, they pull out a red flag just like in the NFL and they throw it and they like rewatch the tape. I feel like that is our next marriage series. I feel like that is, right? It's like, wouldn't you love to have a challenge flag in your marriage? Wouldn't that be great? Or at work, whenever the boss like is trying to nail you for something you didn't do and you like throw a challenge flag out and like, let's rewind this, right? And so here we are. In the Garden of Eden, everything is perfect. It's perfect creation. It's a perfect man. It's a perfect woman. Everything is great. And they were naked. And it was great, right? The way that marriage was intended to be. And so, anyway, all they had to do was take care of this garden. And all they had to not do was touch the one tree. Just don't touch it. Don't look at it. Don't even think about it, right? That was God's will. That was God's word. Was it explicit? Yes. Couldn't be more clear. You can have everything. 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 Enjoy it. It's yours. Have it. Just can't have this. And not because I'm trying to keep something from you. I'm trying to prevent something from you. And what did they do? Ugh. They sinned. And I'm not going to even try to speculate that there's a common thread of Eve had this conversation with a serpent and now Sarah is having a mindset shift. I'm not even going to try to get into the sexism that would be that a woman entertained a conversation that she shouldn't have too long because that would be wrong. But it is an interesting pattern, isn't it? <laughs> if we were just observing... Don't worry, I'll get the men too. Like, oh, male chauvinist. I'm preaching, all right? Just preaching. They sinned. Eve sat there and let the serpent talk her into something. And where was the husband? Right there behind her. Right there behind her, not doing anything. Well, that sounds like today's society. I'm gonna get that at the end. I gotta hurry, I gotta hurry. I'm already out of time, trust me. And you don't even know. So they sinned. And if you go read Romans 5, it's really clear that because Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says death 
passed upon all mankind. That we entered into a new state of fallenness. And that sickness, death, despair, all those things are a result of our choice. So when we experience the pain and the suffering that is in this life, it's not because of God's choice. It's because of man's choice. Now imagine if you interpreted the world through the correct lens. Because if I'm laying the tragedies that I have personally seen people experience, too many to tell in 30 years of ministry and pastoring, so many tragedies, losses of life, losses of children, losses of marriages, losses of parents, losses of careers and jobs and everything that you ever own. I mean, all these lot. What if you were sitting there incorrectly saying, God, why have you done this to me? If you were victimized as a child, you say, God, why would you let that happen to me? If there was really a God, you wouldn't let this happen. You've heard it. Maybe even you had a season where you thought that. I think that it would engender, right, a tremendous amount of anger and resentment towards that God. But if you properly place the blame where it's supposed to be, you would realize that we're fallen. We have so many faults. And all of this suffering that we experience is because of sin. And sin wasn't God's choice. Sin was man's choice. And so here is Sarah. And now her mindset went from that I'm not able to have children to God is causing it. God is preventing me. And I just want you to start thinking in your mind, man, you need to be careful when you see that subtle shift. <laughs> man, you better watch out. Like, come in on a Sunday, this Sunday, and you're like, you're like high-fiving Jesus during the song. Then next week, you're sitting there. Then third week, you know, so sad. And then start from this row, then you're in the middle, then you're in the back, and then you're out the door. Be watching for those subtle shifts. Just be watching. Hey, it'll happen to you in marriage. I'm going to tell you what. Husbands, we are notorious for not noticing the subtle shift. Have you ever been really funny one moment and then get in trouble the very next moment? Has anybody, anybody else ever, like, I, I, I struggle with this line. I really do because I think I'm hilarious. I, I, I constantly push these boundaries and I feel like I'm still, I thought we were in the, the funny moment funny tree and everything I was funny and then all of a sudden I wasn't funny and I was in trouble and my children always going no dad no 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 like has anybody else ever had like a conversation like all in one conversation you went from like you were the ultimate comedian to you're the ultimate goat and you're now in the doghouse has anybody else ever had is am I the only one it's like I thought I thought we were joking I thought we were ha 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 it's like when you're young married, like I used to make jokes about like if my wife had an outfit on and it was clearly a very pretty outfit, but maybe I just for the sake of contrast, like, oh, are you going to wear that? <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. It's like looking into Medusa's face. Something bad is going to happen, even though it is obviously a joke. Obviously, it can't, 
can't possibly be true. It's obviously a joke. And I know some cynic in here is like, there's always a little bit of truth in jokes. No, there's not. Sometimes it's just a joke. But to all the young men in the room, I will say, don't do it. Anything regarding weights, apparel, most everything, just stay away. You got to notice those subtle shifts. A little bit of tone change, a little bit of quietness. Watch out, get your head on a swivel. Things can change pretty quick, pretty quick. I'm just telling you of relationship advice. Let's be careful with those subtle shifts in mentality. Because in your spiritual life, right, I just want you to think in your ups and downs and your twists and turns and that roller coaster ride that you're on, I bet there are times that you're like, man, I love Jesus so much. I'd do anything for Jesus. And then like, what happened? I guarantee you, most people don't just like jump off the cliff into sin. It's a subtle shift. Subtle shift in your passionality, your prioritization, and next thing you know, your places that you never thought you'd be. Sarah says, the Lord is preventing me from having children. Now she comes to a conclusion, a con- uh, <clears throat> clause that is dependent here it says, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing a child, here's my solution. Wives, just see how you like this one. Um, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. The Ishmael mindset is irrational. When anybody look at this verse, and think this is rational? Anybody? Anybody? Like, anybody? Think, hmm? Like, if y'all were having, now I'm not even going to go into it. Tim, don't do it. Don't make it. I was going to make a joke. Now I'm not going to do that. The Ishmael mindset is irrational. We all have some crazy inside here. And the church said, amen. Not you, the person you're next to. You say, amen. Like, I guarantee you, if I pushed you hard enough, I'll get some crazy out of you. And I remember when I was young, I had a, a story like this, and I almost didn't make it to like 11. And we had this um, old motorhome. It was like a Cousin Eddie uh, type of motorhome. And um, uh, my, my dad was a drinker and driver. And so like, because it was a motorhome, you could just walk freely. So sometimes he would put my older brother, who was probably like 12, in the driver's seat of the motorhome going down the highway well, he was going to get a beer. So let's just say, don't judge me, it was Oklahoma. It was a different time. And um, mom was sitting in the front seat, and she's like 5'3", 105, somewhere in there, a little gal, but a spitfire. And, um, and like, there was a generational thing. Like, like this culture has a whole bunch of buzzwords that you can't say, because I had to say Big Carl earlier. I couldn't say another word. Anyway, and so like all these words will get you canceled, right? Well, in, in my growing up time, um, my parents' generation was sensitive to the word crazy, okay? Crazy. And so my mom said something, some innocuous statement, like, I think I just saw a deer out there. And I, thinking sarcastically, the gift that God gave me, by the way, I said, oh, mom, you're crazy. Dude, she came around, I mean, whipped around with the vengeance, right? She's like, don't you call me crazy! Isn't that interesting how we say that sometimes? 
Because we sound crazy saying that, right? It's like, you know, like the famous classic parent line, you shut your mouth when you're talking to me, right? It's like, what do you have to say for yourself? Not shut up, you know? It's like, it's like we do these contradicting things where we're, it's like we're kind of demonstrating the thing that we're saying that we're not. Anyway, I'm just trying to throw it out there that we probably all have a little craziness, right? And I think it's pretty crazy that Sarah wants Abraham to sleep with her person. And this subtle shift has led to an incorrect conclusion because the Ishmael mindset believes that you can call an audible, that you can come up with a different plan, an alternative plan to God's. Like that basically it's man uh, being driven by pride instead of God's promise. Because pride is saying, I can. Whenever I'm thinking about God's promise, it's saying he must. And so in your life, do you think you're being driven by pride of saying, I can? Because notice what she says in this verse. She said, perhaps through her, I can create the family. Now, the responsibility that we learned about in Genesis chapter 12 was on God providing and now it's Sarah wanting to grab the will and saying, no, God, let me help you. I have a better way. And I'm going to tell you, whenever we think that we have a better way than God's way, that our better way is going to be a bitter pill when it's all said and done. And Adam and Eve thought they had a better way. One time, David was out on a rooftop. And guess what? He thought he had a better way. And there was a subtle shift in the man that was after God's own heart whenever he lusted for something that was outside of the boundaries of God. Now, telling you, listen to me. There is not a better way than God's way. Just let's all say it together. There is not a better way than God's way. Now th just think about it. Think about it. Every time that you do not do it God's way, what is the result that you get? You get a lot of pain and suffering. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, there's so many shifts in the Bible that caused people to make decisions that were outside of his will. And Sarah's thinking, and this is the way some of you are so crafty, he's like, well, that's the way some of you are in a church service. Anyway, like, uh, well, God, it's been 10 years, right? You know, and whenever I'm preaching this, by the way, this whole sermon series, I'm preaching this to me. Like, we are 20 years in trying to get to El Dorado. Just think about that. Put that in your old brain while we go over this other message, okay? Uh, God, it's been 10 years and uh, still not pregnant. Still don't have a baby. Like, what are we doing here? Hey, God, you know what? Why don't I help you out? Why don't I help you out? We can still get to the same conclusion. We can still get to the baby. We're just going to do it a different way. God, I want you to do your will my way. God, I want you to do your will my way. Now, how arrogant are you? You're going to do, uh, hey, God, I'll tell you what, we'll do marriage, but we're going to do it my way. We'll do compassion, but we're going to do that my way. We'll do generosity, but I'm going to do that my way. Do you, do you, who's God? Are you God or is he God? Because if he's God, it's not about your way. It's not about what you can. Because here's the crazy thought is that there are some things in God's will that are generalities. Like, for instance, I don't believe there's one person out there for you. Like, if, if you think there's one perfect person, like some people say, like, oh, there's one perfect, well, what if she gets hit by a bus? 
And then I'm going to be alone all my life, right? And so, no, I think there's a type of person, right? I think there's a type of person. God wants you to marry a believer, and that believer that's passionately pursuing after God. She's not just a, a, a checkbox church person, you know, not just name, Christian in name only. No, it's a passionate pursuer of God. And so, and you want to be a passionate pursuer of God so that you're not bringing her down. And so if you both are passionately pursuing after God, that's a type of relationship that God's after. And even church, like, you know, there's, there's not a one church. Like, how arrogant would it be if I set up here on the stage like, Genesis Metro is the conduit of Frisco, Texas for God and all other churches are just terrible. Wouldn't that be, that'd be terrible. There's a lot of good churches in Frisco, Texas. I think Hope Fellowship, I think that's a great church, right? I think Preston Trails, I think that's a great church. So anyway, there's a lot of great churches. So there's not one church that's doing it all. There's not one church that you can be a part of, but you need to be in a Bible-based church, right? A, a church that preaches the truth. A church that is living, it's producing life. That's a type of church. There's a general will there. But there are some things, and this is where I think mankind, sinners, all of us, this is where we struggle. It's whenever God narrows the scope down to one way. That's where I think we struggle. Because for the, the Israelites, when they're 400 years in slavery to get out of Egypt, there was one way. And that was going through the Red Sea. Whenever Joshua led them into the promised land, there was one way, and that was crossing over the Jordan River. Whenever they got to Jericho, there wasn't a whole bunch of ways for them to defeat Jericho. They had to walk around once for seven days, and on the seventh day, they had to march around seven times, and they blew a trumpet, and they yelled at it, and it fell down. There wasn't a whole bunch of ways to win. There was only one way to win. And why is that important? Because when you get into the New Testament, when it comes to our sin, when it comes to our fate, when it comes to our eternity, the Bible says there's one way. There's one way. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Is that God being arrogant? No, that's God being practical. What other person could die and that their righteous life could forgive our sinful life? What other person could pay the price for our sins and then offer us that forgiveness so that our slate could be washed white as snow? What other God is able to give redemption by paying for the sin for themselves? There's only one way to get to heaven. That is not God trying to be exclusive. That is God trying to be compassionate to fix the problem that we chose in the Garden of Eden. So I'm telling you today, there is one way to get to heaven. There's not a multitude of ways. There is one way and people struggle with that because they say, well, are you trying to cast off these other people? I'm not trying to cast anyone into hell. I'm trying to save them from an eternal separation from God by preaching the only truth that is able to deliver them. I think sometimes we struggle with that. I hope today you start thinking. Do you keep trying to save yourself? Do you keep saying, I can? What God has already clearly spoken. Sarah was trying to brainstorm her way out of barrenness after God had already told her. So whenever you get in that middle ground of waiting, instead of letting go of what God has told you, that's the time you hold on. Whenever you get in those rocky passages in relationships, that's not the time to let go and try to improvise. That's the time to hold on to God's word. We see in verse 3, 
And this is going to be our summary, and this is where we're going to go into marriage therapy. Is everybody ready? Say amen. Okay, ready? Okay. <laughs> this preaches itself, so you're going to see some things. Okay, here we go. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, this is a summary rephrase of the first couple of verses, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with her, Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, this is Hagar, she began to despise her mistress. Hmm. Do you feel like, do you feel like there was any, like, now, women, you just tell me, I'm not a, I mean, I'm not a woman. You just tell me, like, you think there was any part of Hagar I was like, yeah, I did something you couldn't do? Do you think that, like, in this powerless position of being a slave, that now she all of a sudden had, like, something? Because instantly, as soon as she conceived, she looked at Sarah, and she's like, hmm, yeah, I did something you could never do. Now, <laughs> let's look at this. Then Sarah said to Abraham, verse 5, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. <laughs> Challenge flag. <laughs> Whose idea was this? Whose idea was this, right? Uh, what, what, what? Now imagine you're Abraham. Let's just, let's just try to, just, hey, you know what, this whole thing, we've been out here wandering around like nomads for 10 years. We had a good and early the Chaldees. We had the house, we had the kids, we had the car, not the kids, but the car, and we had everything. We had a great camel and whatever. We had the latest, ver and now you told me that we're going to have this, God's going to make a great nation. We've been out here wandering around for 10 years, and, and you know what? Hey, I got a shortcut, and I just need you to go, uh, sleep with Hagar. What is the right answer if you're Abraham? Can you imagine the catch-22 that that man is caught in? That is like the ultimate, right? That's like a woman like, hey, so do you think she's pretty? No. The answer, no. Never. There's never been a pretty woman since Carrie and I got married. No. No. She's like, hey, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you sleep with her? And like, you know, Abraham's like, oh, Lord, what? Well, I mean, you know, okay, well, you know, if I don't, then we won't have a kid, you know, and she wants to be happy, she wants a kid. So and then as soon, like, we talked about the Ishmael mindset, now I'm going to talk about the Ishmael marriage. The Ishmael marriage says, somehow, it's going to be okay. Can I, for alarm, say, it's not going to be Okay. That if you go outside of God's plan for your life, it's not going to be okay. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. You're going to conceive Ishmael's. And these Ishmael people, they're going to procreate. And then they're going to create the enemies that Abraham's grandchildren, great-grandchildren, 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 for on and on till today, are going to be fighting with. Would it be worth you not going outside of God's will if you knew that you could pre, if you could take out the problem for your great, 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 great grandchildren by choosing God's will today, you could save them pain and suffering later? Abraham, 
Abraham said, I don't know what to do. And so he agreed. You are responsible <laughs> for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. Oh, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. <laughs> uh, has your wife ever tried to tell you a story where she's obviously mad at someone? Anybody? Like, it is very clear that you have a side to choose. Is anybody like, oh, maybe I'm getting, see, this is where it gets quiet because everyone's like, oh, I don't think we should talk about this. Uh, I mean, it preaches itself. You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she despises me. And then Abraham, this is what he did. He moonwalked. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think is best. It's up to you. It's on you. <laughs> it's your choice. Now you do whatever you want. And it says, then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. A catfight, if you will. Two women engaged in a quarrel that cannot be solved. And a man is caught in between. Never has this happened in the modern era, right? What shall we do? What shall we do, men? <laughs> Should we step back and say, ah, oh, whatever she wants? Because you know what I see weak men do all the time? They abdicate their responsibility in the equation. And they refuse... The conflict, I think oftentimes because we've emasculated men to the point that we feel like we're overstepping some boundary and we do so to the detriment of our families. We do so to the detriment of our marriages and we're not willing to step up to the plate to be the leader that God has called us to be even if our wife is suggesting that we do something completely stupid that is going to cost us and our grandchildren an incredible amount of pain. We say, oh, well, it's not my decision, it's her decision. No, fool, it's your decision to step up up and hold the line of God's word for your family. And the church said, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? When your children want to do stupid things and go over to friends' houses that are dumb people, they're doing dumb things. And you're like, oh, well, that's what they want. You know, I don't want to, oh, dad, everybody else, don't want. who cares? Who cares? I just want to encourage you to think about it for just a moment. I know it's harsh language. But if you've seen the amount of Ishmael's created that I've seen, you try to wake people up before they got to that place. You try to say, man, an Ishmael marriage might be a woman that's pulling in an ungodly direction and a husband who just sits there and lets it happen. I wonder if we want to take a litmus test today. And I'm going to close with this. If you or your spouse, either one, it's not gender specific, we're doing something ungodly, doing something unbiblical. Let's just say, let's just say for the sake of spitballing here, that you were gossiping, like maybe... Maybe it was a woman, um, and she was gossiping about another woman, and it was all speculation. It wasn't fact. It was just like a, you know, just a death spiral of gossip. You know, did you see what she had on? You know what she was trying to do, and she was. And what if, like, what if, what if, what if a husband said, you know, babe, I just don't think this is, I don't think this is fruitful. 
I don't, I don't, I don't think this is fruitful conversation. I think maybe we should, we should move the conversation. I don't, I don't, you know, I just don't, I don't feel like it's probably like, who? I don't think it's a godly conversation. If your spouse corrected you, what would be your response? Would you be angry? Would you receive it? Or would you instantly reject it? I'm just wondering, because it would be better if you would start giving people permission in your life to hold you accountable. It'd be so much better for your life. Instead of them having to walk on eggshells and like there's landmines, there's dynamite all around. What if you said, hey, what if we have a baseline rule that if you ever see me going in a direction that is unproductive, ungodly, unfruitful, or getting into relationships that you find to be unproductive, unfruitful, that aren't godly, aren't producing godly things, hey, would you just, as my spouse, as my shield, as my extra set of eyes, would you give me a heads up? And I might not receive it right away, but I want that correction in my life. Do you think that would change how you interact? I bet it would. I bet it would. We could, we could stay on God's path. We could get to Isaac without an Ishmael. And I think that marriages would be better for it. So today, maybe you could consider. Do you got an Ishmael mindset where you're trying to do it on your own, figure it out your way? Or are you going to rely on God's? Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you help us, God. Help us to humble ourselves and realize our pride is never going to accomplish God's best for our lives. That we need your promise, God. And this morning we stand on the promise that what you have promised you can provide, you will provide. And even if it's not in our time, God, your time is perfect. God, I pray for every marriage. I pray that you would grab your spouse's hand and squeeze it this morning. And I pray that she would know that you're a man who's going to hold the line. I pray that he would know that you're a woman that's going to hold the line. I think this morning we're trying to basically head things off at the pass. Some of you that are on second marriage, third marriage, fourth marriage, if you put it under the microscope and, and do an autopsy, where did it go wrong? Somewhere along the way, one or both decided they were going to do things their way. Pride. And they weren't going to humble themselves. They weren't going to forgive. They weren't going to show compassion. Maybe there's multiple ways, they said in their mind, to have a godly marriage. No, there's one way. And that's where God's first. So I hope today this might encourage you. Would you stand and worship with us?